0: So let's take a minute to talk about the Quantum Week podcast. It's a podcast that takes a random week in history and talks about the movies, music, and headlines that make that week unique. Uh, Recent episodes have included uh, 1987, June 21st, uh, with Spaceballs and I Want to Dance with Somebody. Uh, 2008, uh, May, with Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and Viva La Vida. I basically, I'm looking down this list. This is getting depressing because I remember so much of this and I feel like, oh, yeah, I saw that in the theater.
1: But see, I don't find that depressing. It's like revisiting my friends and the good old days. I loved hearing the songs I loved in high school. Obviously, I just went gaga over Matthew Sweet. But like, okay, Top Gun Stuck With You episode. Do you know how many times I saw Top Gun in the theater? Do you know how much I am waiting for the new movie to come out?
0: And take your breath away?
1: It will take my breath away.
0: Oh, Stuck With You (laughs) was the same week Top Gun was number one.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. This is a slice of perfection in my life. I can... You you said the sentence, Mm -hmm. and I can feel where I was. I can feel how hot it was that summer. I can remember being... In my dad's Corvette, I remember it all.
0: So September 14th through September 20th, 1986, you were in your dad's Corvette. I, I, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that September 14th through September 20th, 1986, was the best week in your life.
1: It might have been.
0: you got Top Gun, it, and you've got Huey Lewis topping the charts.
1: Like, what What else is there? Basically, it, that is... And I had a Euro mullet? <laughs>
0: everyone wins
1: everyone wins
0: uh, so you can find quantum week on apple podcast stitcher spotify or anywhere else you happen to get your podcasts
1: why is recorded in front of a live studio audience one of the things they did was they bought my aunt. So an Alexa and a bunch of dots, which one, cause so she could have, cause her stereo stopped working throughout the house and two to, for safety, if she falls, she could tell Alexa to call someone, right. you know, so it's great. And they've yeah. been using it a lot, but what's happened is now the Alexas have like sucked All the Wi-Fi. So my dad came in for the weekend and he wanted to watch Mm -hmm. Netflix downstairs and it was a whole big thing. And then there's all the devices, everybody. So that's why I was like, oh, the Alexas, they've got to unplug them. So I had to run down and. I see. So
0: if we said like, Alexa, download every episode of Why, that that. would help? Yeah. Or what if we said, Alexa, write a review for Why, the podcast on iTunes.
1: Well, you can't do it up here. There isn't one in the apartment.
0: No, but if when she starts listening to this episode like yes. 3 weeks from now,
1: then it will.
0: Right. Yes. Okay. Alexa, play River of Dreams by Billy Joel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is Why with
2: your hosts Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling.
0: <gasps> I mean, I guess you could what, what would, would you prefer? Alexa Play Big Shot by Billy Joel better.
1: Yes, I love Big Shot. (laughs) Are you kidding me? They were all impressed with your Halston dress. Hello.
0: That's true. And the people you knew at Elaine's.
1: Yes, it's like he's speaking to me.
0: I know. Um,
1: That one and um, oh my God, scenes from an Italian restaurant. mm
0: -hmm. Alexa, play Downeaster Alexa by Billy Joel.
1: Right, no. it's just, it's true. <laughs> Alexa should be like, I had to grow up with all that music. There's no way in hell I'm playing any of it.
0: <laughs> Alexa, play Miami 2025 by Billy Joel.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have to stop saying their name. Like the, the kids even now just call her Alexa. When they um, want to talk about it and be like, "Oh, ask Lexa to play it," because they know if you
1: well, the the best is well. First of all, my aunt spells it, so you don't, so it doesn't. Happen. Oh, but the other thing that's hilarious is my mom had not watched Shit's Creek yet, and so they've been binging Shit's Creek and loving it. Mm. And my mother fully embraced that, which we already knew, which is her Moira, She's Moira net, Rose yeah.
0: 100%, <laughs>
1: incarnate, like beyond and i am obviously very clearly alexis but right. they'll talk about it my mom will say things like she even has your mannerisms and that alexis and then the alexis are going off
0: because
1: they're talking about Shit's creek
0: i think if Catherine o'hara really wants to make some coin she should get in touch with amazon and see if she can't record all the words and yes. pronunciations so you can have Moira. You know, I'm I'm a little bit tired of the baby it's cold outside Me stuff.
1: Too. Me too.
0: But I, I like the
1: just the norm, uh, just the words. Yeah.
0: No, I mean my kids have I've got taught them enough so they can just start crying out at once in a while. The crowening has begun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they haven't gotten to the crowening yet. I can't wait till they get oh. to the crowing. <laughs> is fabulous.
0: Alexa, play This Is The Time by Billy Joel. I'm sorry, what were you
1: saying? <laughs> Wait, what's the Vietnam one?
0: Oh,
1: Because i would be like ducking.
0: Is that Goodnight Saigon? Right? Yes, thank you. Alexa, play Goodnight Saigon by Billy Joel.
1: <laughs> we're going to have to close this up by Alexa. Play this little <laughs> piano man. <laughs> By Billy Joel. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> Alexa, right. Alexa! Every time Heidi walks into the room, play Uptown Girl by Billy Joel.
0: <laughs> As a fellow masshole, I got to tell you how much I loved reading about the Worcester Centrum in your book and that you, you, that you'd been there, that you know that place. Um it, it many my times heart.
2: great memories from there.
0: <laughs> it was such a dump too. I mean in the best ways. The best venues are always dumps, but that was something. It's special. all I
2: knew for a long time, you know. I don't know how it is now. Gosh, it's been a good twenty-five, maybe longer years since I've been there.
0: The book was really enjoyable. And a thing that I think that we were talking about it before you you came on was the fact that it's not it's sort of a kiss and tell, but it doesn't feel like a smarmy muck raking kind of story. You're just telling your truth and your life and I don't know, it just it's well written in that regard.
2: I could have written eleven trashy tell offs. Believe me, they're they're in me. I just didn't <laughs> want to write a book like that. I didn't that's not who I am. Like, I wasn't writing it because I wanted to, um, you know, be a, a journalist for the National Enquirer. I wasn't writing it because I wanted to expose people's secrets. And, you know, um, I was really just exploring my uh, life's choices. And, and you know, there's some juicy details within um, my story. So... And, of course, people do like to read that stuff. Um, there's definitely...
0: Sure.
1: I could have yeah. given a
2: lot more of it is what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> I, I, I like to warn people. Uh, uh, most of the time, I feel like p- people misunderstand what the book is about. And I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint people because if they think it's a book about kiss, it's not. If They think it's a book about Eric Carr. It's not. If they think it's a book about playboy, it's not. If they think it's a trashy tell all it's, it's not, it's really just a memoir. It's my life story. So I haven't had anyone complain though. If anything, I've had a lot of compliments I've had people write to me saying, wow, I picked this up thinking, you know, there was going to be these juicy stories in Hollywood and, and, and I got so much more out of it. I've, I've had people contact me, thanking me saying that because of my story, they looked up like their real birth parents and found them. And, you know, all these amazing things have come out of it that I, I had no idea my words would touch people in such a way. So, um, not only are they surprised, so am I, and, and it's all in, in a very good way.
0: <laughs> How long did it take you to write it? I mean, it took you your whole life to write it. Two and, it, and a half book, years but... to
2: write okay. it. Wow. I mean, from the time I started at my kitchen table, right behind me, I was I was uh, thinking about writing the book, but I had, I mean, it, wow, it's like overwhelming to think about. Where would I start and how would it flow and how how would I right. to choose what is gonna go in there? It just seems like a giant mess in your head. so I just started scribbling uh like chapter titles and I was being um self-deprecating and I was that's how I got all my chapter titles that's they were don't don't do this don't do that like, I was kind of like just being a self-deprecating mood and then when i saw what I wrote I thought actually that's that's really funny I, sh- I should go with it and yeah. uh, a lot of people don't at first they glance and they're like what do you mean don't don't like that it, it takes them about two seconds to figure out that it's meant to be funny it's tongue-in-cheek it's right. being sarcastic and and then everyone thinks it's very clever
0: <laughs> yeah. that's how you want it Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
2: Writing's about rewriting though, so it took me forever. I mean and it's not what I do professionally. So it literally, like sometimes for three days I'd be like hashing out the same few paragraphs because I you know, I write when I write it's a mess. Like I just I didn't I wasn't in the mood to write all the time. So I would set my timer and say, Okay, you have to write for one hour. You don't have to write anything good. You can throw it away. You don't have to use it, but you have to do it. And then usually I would wind up writing three hours, sometimes eight hours. Like it was never just one hour. And, and then, uh, sometimes I got something really great out of it. And sometimes I, you know, most of it was just me rambling about things, but, um, but, yeah, writing's writing's about rewriting. So I just put down the big mess and then edited it, basically. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. I'd go months. One time I went four months without writing a word. I wow. just took... well, I couldn't figure out if the book was going to end, so it, it took me a long time to figure that out. And then I gave the book to an agent, and then it was – he had it for an entire year. And didn't sell it, and then I decided to do it myself. And I reread the book, and I went, "Wait a minute, that's not the ending. Wait, that's not the ending." And then I wrote another chapter, and now I'm happy with that ending. It's it almost forever. feels
0: like it's it's meant to be in that regard. Yeah. Like you had to have to wait that year so you could have that perfect ending to the book. It's true.
2: Well, yeah. When I when I reread it and I saw where it ended, and that's the first time I had read it. You know, as a you call it as someone that didn't write it I wrote it from yeah. the beginning to the end and I noticed a big gap I noticed that I had realized that all of the men I had dated had a common thread and that was excitement and I said that I needed to learn to find excitement on my own and then I never did it I never well, <laughs> like, in that version of the book because it was it was another year later And in that year, I did do it. I did complete that. And that's why when I read it, I said, wait, that wasn't the ending. Now I have to talk the talk. I've got to walk the walk. I have to tell about all my adventures. Now I found excitement on my own. And then uh, now that I had all of them, now we're not allowed to have
1: them. I know. It's a good thing to have them when (laughs) you're I did, right? Good thing you knocked that up. Well, that's one of the things that your book was so fun to read and so much of what you've done at every stage of your life has been so, so many things that I would have loved to have done. Like so much of your path is something that I dreamed about or would want to do. And I think that applies to so many people. And the way you tell your story, it, you tell it in a way where if we had met and we were just hanging out somewhere, you'd be telling the story the exact same way. Like it's extremely conversational.
2: That's a big part of how the book book was born because everybody was telling me many years before I actually decided to do it, like decades before. Like you should write a book. Whenever I I was just out to dinner with people I just met and I would start telling some stories, just subjects they were interested in, uh, they were all fascinated and were yeah. always saying you should write a book. And uh, I didn't really take it seriously back then, because first of all, um, it's daunting. And second of all, I wasn't sure I wanted it to, to reveal things that I would well, say yeah. at a dinner party, you know, to the whole world. <laughs> right. You know, I didn't it's know, how I felt about that. Um, and then there came a certain point where, um, I didn't care anymore. Like, the more that I wrote my story, um, I realized that all of my choices um, were justified because I was exploring why I made them and that there was always a good intention behind everything I did and everything, even even you know my breakups um started with love you know they they cool. they're, they're, there was always like an element of depth to everything that i'm talking about yeah. and um for that you know i'm not ashamed because all of my experiences are authentic and um you know so i it's something i found now that it's published that's it's extremely liberating and freeing and what's interesting is is I thought I was going to be met with all of this hate and trolling and negativity and I thought I was not going to be able to even check my own social media anymore and I haven't had any I've had nothing but uh love and support and kindness when I used to get i used to get haters if I posted a picture of my dog so I'm going <laughs> well where are all those people now right and I figured it out I think that you know, when you know who you are, it makes it really difficult for somebody else to tell you who you are. And just last night, I had a long message from a fan, very upset about, uh, you know, he posted some pictures and videos of me, and he was upset that uh, other people weren't commenting and supportive the way he thought they would be. And, you know, he was upset that some, I don't know, girls had said some rude things to him. And, I I just ran back and I said, let me give you a piece of advice. Post what is representative of yourself and don't look back. I said, the day that I stopped looking for haters is the day I stopped having them.
1: Yeah, Mm. that's true.
0: One of the themes that runs throughout the book is, and it's clearly something you're still dealing with and, and handling, is Eric Carr's relatively sudden passing. And that you know, I think you said in the book. I know you've said in other interviews that he was sort of your soulmate, the one of the lungs yeah, of I would your call life. It,
2: yeah, It he was my soulmate, and that's it's been. Um, yeah, it's been the most difficult thing about being me is living without him. Yeah, uh, for sure, it's something that I've never gotten over, and uh, uh, I've collected uh, a lot of followers who are mostly widowers, um, cause my audience is mostly male. Um, uh, people really do, uh, you know, relate to my experiences because, you know, even though I'm very vocal about it, it's, you know, it's not uncommon, um, for people to have lost a loved one, especially, you know, it's especially hard when it's unexpected and it's at a young age with somebody you were looking forward to sharing a life with. And, um, I've had a, especially like strange existence because of, um, you know, no, no matter what I accomplish on my own, whether it's, you know, and at my acting, my modeling, being a player, it overshadows everything I've done in my life. Um, and I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with that because part of me is really proud, um, you know, that I can represent him when he's not here. Uh, when, you know, I'm able to carry the torch and keep his memory alive and all that, um, I'm happy he has me to do that. Um, on the other hand... You know, it's uh, it's hard being in a relationship with somebody that is not alive, right? And it, it um makes me uh, yeah, I, I'm basic. Uh, I'm still in a relationship with him, but it it's, it's so it's it's a source of extreme extreme loneliness, and mm-hmm. um, it means I've never felt understood. I write about it, as you know, a lot in my book. Yeah. Um, but it's even deeper. Um than what I wrote and what, and I've never felt understood by anybody, uh, uh, anybody. And just the other day, uh, a fan wrote to me and said, you know, I lost somebody about the same time. It was a kiss fan. I lost somebody about the same time you lost Eric. And he said, you know, I, I always think of you that time of year. And he said, I don't know. How you did it, you know, with the pressure that you've been under, and I don't think anybody could have done it like you have. And thank you. And I was like, oh, you know what? You know, like, like I just feel like so understood by those very simple words that I've really never gotten by friends or family or anybody. I, you know, I've just, just for a random stranger to like come to me and say, you know they get it that it must've been a lot of pressure and still is. And they don't know how I've done it because every time I'm crying over it, which is especially difficult on an anniversary or a birthday, um, you know, I am always going, how the fuck am I still here? Like how (laughs) have I handled this? How? how? Mm -hmm. Oh, but I have. So it was, it was really cool. Um, you know, just to get a message like that with someone telling me that they understand it must be a must be pressure, you know?
0: and like, like you said that kind of the yin yang of the good and the bad of for a lot of fans being that conduit to eric and they have a story about meeting him or him writing them and it seems like the vast majority of them are all positive and these happy memories of yeah
2: the, the majority are positive you know and the rude ones they don't understand they're rude like you know yeah. i got one yesterday asking me if he was freaky in the sheets i of course i, <laughs> yeah, I ignored it I'm Like, you know, do you really think it's appropriate to interrupt my day on right. my instagram To ask me a question about that. Do you really think that's going to...
1: Do you really think I'm going to respond? (laughs) I think
2: think it's so rude because I'm busy trying to like uh, not think about things like that. And I don't find it amusing. I find it like, you know, it's hard enough for me to let that go and be, you know, a normal person that's not thinking about, you know, being in mourning. So it's, it's when I'm doing a podcast or something, I'm completely prepared, you yes. know, to talk about my life. And that's the understanding is that I'm here to right. talk about, about it. But right. I don't like being uh, interrupted in my daily life for things like that. I mean, I always welcome a kind, supportive, um, uplifting, inspirational, yes. grateful yes. messages. You know, those are fine, but. I've had worse ones than that. Uh, I'm sure. uh, oh, I'm yeah, sure. Of, asking me if he had a big, you know, what? like, it's just, That's... come on. you know.
1: <laughs> and it is, I mean, not to go back to what you said earlier and not to dwell on the, the heartbreak of that time, but the way you tell the story of the end with Eric and what you went through, it really does resonate to people who've lost anyone.
2: Well, yeah. My point in writing it—I rewrote that twelve billion times, but my—that was my point in writing it when yeah. I wrote about the church and the stained glass windows yeah. and under, uh, you know, those wooden arches. We're we're we're, we're all equal in God's eyes, yeah. and that's why I told about the fans being able to come yeah. in and sit right ne- near the band, you know, because mm-hmm. nobody is better than anybody and 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 we're all born we all die you know I wanted everybody to understand that he was a normal guy he wasn't just you know Eric Carr rock star you know he Mm -hmm. was a normal guy like he did my laundry and you know made me sandwiches and you know (laughs) like we we did normal stuff together like we Mm -hmm. my relationship with him was that of you know being just having a a boyfriend like i would like anybody else would you know right it like, wasn't right. always on stage you know we had a lot of time you know just being normal people mm-hmm. and that was the best of it
0: i'm comedian david race in los angeles i host a celebrity filled paranormal talk show like no other monstrosity has great guests Answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like monstrosity or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Let's move on to some other stories that are in the book um and you kind of gloss over it a little bit um when you talk about shooting your layout for playboy saying that wasn't a big deal did you ever have in your mind sort of the not the i'm naked and someone's taking pictures but i'm naked and someone's taking pictures for playboy did you sort of have in the back of your mind the what this could mean for you as far as your career and yeah you're becoming sort of an icon Um, yeah i
2: mean i knew it was it could hurt me but I also knew it could help me so and I'll still never know if I would have done better without it I do wonder because it's not a matter of um, judging posing nude it's a matter of how busy I got after I did I mean I was so busy being a model when my intention was to be an actress Um, and it took me away from a lot of opportunities, because I was booked, I was traveling, and I was, I was always um, working. I can't say I regret it, because, you know, it was a lot of fun traveling all over the world, doing fun promotions for Playboy and other modeling jobs. It just, you know, it it probably, I mean, I'll never know which auditions I missed. I'll never know. Um, So, but, you know, that was a time in my life where and I was 27 already when I posed for Playboy. I wasn't like, you have to be 18 to do it. I think the average is like, age is like 22. So, you know, I was on the, it came out on my 28th birthday. Uh, I think <laughs> 28, 29 is about like as old as you get. I think once there was a 34 year old in there, but Heavens generally, you did. know, that's, <laughs> that's old for being a playmate. So I, it was like now or never kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. when I did that. I'm glad I did it. You know, you can act forever. I I had two auditions yesterday. One for a major uh, network TV show, and another one for a major Paramount uh, film, a remake of a very famous film. Um, So, you know, I'm glad I did Playboy. I guess when I was young, because now, actually, that I'm older and more mature, I get better. I'm getting better uh, roles. I don't always have to be the hot girl with one line, you know. Like I'm getting more (laughs) interesting, meaty roles now.
1: I need to talk a little bit about David Lee Roth. No,
2: here we go.
1: (laughs) Because no, stop. (laughs) Because first of all, from the opening, of course, lines of your book, everything about it was fantastic. And I met your friend David once, one time. And we had ice cream walking through Birmingham, Michigan. It was like the greatest really? of my life. That's awesome. Yeah. What was that? It was like, God, 10 years ago. He was performing at the Michigan State Fair when they were still doing it. And he was walking around eating Cold Stone Creamery. And we walked and ate ice cream and talked. And it was fantastic. And I love How him. How fun is that? Yeah, he's got <laughs> such a great personality. Um... And I love your relationship through the years and that just every, like when you just reconnect and just the everything about it. And it's such a fun, fabulous thread through the whole book.
2: Yeah. Uh, um, I sent him a copy of my books when I met him that, well, a couple of years ago, ran in, when he summoned me backstage a couple of years ago, <laughs> <Yes. and> I, <laughs> I asked NASA myself and I told him I was writing this book. I told him I would send him a copy and I got his manager's business card to send them copies uh uh I really just wanted not because I'm a stalker but you know how many people say they're going to write a book and then actually do it right. so I didn't yeah. want to be just that girl backstage that made an ass of herself telling him that I was doing it I wanted to show him I did it so um I yeah I I sent a copy for his manager a copy to him and then four days later, Eddie Van Halen passed. So bad timing, um, bad timing. I heard, I did hear through the grapevine recently that, uh, you know, they, they did receive it, but you know, things are rough right now and They they'd get to me when they got to me. And I said, you know, I don't need a thank you or anything. I'm glad to know it was received. I hope it cheers him up, but totally understand that things are really rough right now. And I, don't need any acknowledgement or thank yous. I, I just really wanted him um, to see it because it is very flattering uh, to him is. and it's fun. And, and and I hope he enjoys it. And what exactly. timing though well, for me sending it, I just couldn't ask for worse
1: timing. Well, it could also, like you said though, it could also be the best timing because it's something... Well, it's eventually, something
2: eventually, hopefully. I mean, I, I like I said, I, I don't expect any emails or calls or thank yous or anything. I didn't even mean to check to see if he got it. I happened to just know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knew somebody yeah. that could ask. And they did it without even asking me if I wanted them to. So I hope he doesn't think I'm a stalker. for
1: asking. No, <laughs> wasn't me.
0: One of the things early on in the book, uh, you mentioned one of your teachers, Mrs. Marshall saying pretty face, but nothing in the head. Um, how much of that do you think, I mean, clearly in the book, it was a motivating factor for you. Do you think you needed that kind of kick in the rear end to be, to have that I'll show you? Or do no, you think you were... I
2: didn't realize at the time it was an I'll show you.
0: I was mm-hmm.
2: just a little girl who was yeah. mortified. And uh, I did not take it as a compliment to be, told I had a pretty face and nothing in the head I was laughed at by all the kids. And, um, it made, it, it, gave, it just sent me the message that I was stupid. I didn't hear the message "you're pretty. I heard the message you're stupid. Yeah. And, um, uh, and that, as you know, it, it's, it was just the beginning, um, of me, uh, getting the message that, um, I was valued for, what I looked like and um not um valued for anything else and as a matter of fact um it was a it made me very self-conscious about um expressing myself using my uh brains it made me um it turned me into I guess you know the sex object that I became over time. That's, that's just, that's just where I saw it. It started there when I examined my life. Like that's, that's the, the first time I remember um, feeling that way. You know, when I tried to ask a question after she told the whole class, there is no such thing as a dumb question. And then basically I was told I was dumb just for our Raising my hand, and my question was just, Are we supposed to be taking notes? So maybe it was a dumb question, but I still didn't deserve pretty face, but nothing in the head. You yeah, know, that, that was mean, it
1: was really mean. very yeah. mean,
0: yeah, a bit knee jerk,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's just cruel. Actually. But I think,
0: I think reading the book, uh, never mind your life, but even just the writing of it you kind of showed her I mean between all of your adventures all the things you've done so far and there's more to come but it seems like you you've lived your life with this great abandon and one of the things we always talk about or ask guests uh when we interview them for the show is sort of like what can we learn from your life and I feel like your story is the most encouraging positive say yes try things and you know, stand up for yourself.
2: Right. And I'm, I'm glad you get that. I'm still, um, I, I still feel like it's a, that's a battle all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. one that never ends standing up for myself, being strong and, uh, trying new things. And, um, this, the release of this book is obviously, um, when I'm just gonna spoil the ending of my book, but I, it was when the pandemic started. It was that week, and I said, "I am not gonna sit around and wait for shit to happen." Can I swear on your show? Yes, See, I, I'm, I'm gonna. I didn't get where I am in life, you know, by letting old men in suits make decisions for me, and now is no different. So I took matters into my own hands. Um I decided I was going to take control. I was going to self-publish. I designed my own cover. I shot it in my living room. I turned it I I hired Playboy's people. I said make me look like I'm on the cover of Playboy magazine. I couldn't go shopping. I ordered that bodysuit for 30 bucks off of Amazon. I mean, I I'm a survivor. Like I I figured it out and I did it really well and um and i um say in the ending of my book that somewhere in this that somewhere in the shadows of the pandemic i see the seeds of something familiar and there's an opportunity and i'll find it and as i was writing it i didn't realize that that was the opportunity that was the opportunity the the opportunity Um, is me sitting here talking to you right now. The the opportunity is for me to finally be Carrie Stevens. Um, So I wrote the book trying to find out who Carrie Stevens was and how she got where she is and who is she. And um, now I get to be Carrie Stevens and people like Carrie Stevens. And more importantly, I like Carrie Stevens more for being raw, true, and unabashed.
0: For more information on Carrie or to get signed copies of her book and everything else, go to her website, which is carriestevens.com.
1: You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes because if you don't, We'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more.
0: Why the podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our graphic is Samantha Mastonen. The theme song was performed by the ElectroSyntho Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home.
1: Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?